one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate preview to all the weekend's action. Alongside me, Sam Matterface, this week, assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, European football expert, Kevin Hatchard. Fresh from things getting messy in the Champions League, Manchester City have got another tough game and Chelsea can't afford to go three without a win. Bernardo Silva, who's midway between the edge of the penalty area and the byline, sends it on to Cancelo, who threatened to shoot, cuts inside, left-footed, does shoot, falls to Jesus inside the area, who turns the ball brilliantly into the net via a deflection, and Manchester City take the lead. Also this week, Manchester United welcome Rafa to Old Trafford, Arsenal goes south without Xhaka, and Steve Bruce is thrown to the walls. Plus, Villa look to pile on the misery at Spurs, West Ham and Brentford go head-to-head at the London Stadium, and Chelsea look to put their issues behind them against struggling Saints. Every game previewed in depth from Talksport. It's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. What a week. Messi makes his mark in Paris, Real Madrid shot by the Sheriff, and Liverpool win in the Dragao. Chelsea losing Turin despite 18 attempts and 66% possession. Manchester United win despite being absolutely abysmal. And I commentated on Bayern's incredible show of strength yesterday uh, or Wednesday night. Um, They really will be the team uh, to beat this year, I think. Um, What was your highlight of the week, Darren? I have to say, Ronaldo bringing the house down. Not the performance from Manchester United. I think that was abysmal. But I think uh, Ronaldo doing exactly what they brought him to do. I can see him and Messi kind of fighting out this epic last stand between the two legends of football across the entire season. And that for us will be fantastic to watch for the football purist. But for headline writers, for people in my industry, when you're not quite sure which one to go with, when there are all these fascinating stories on any given Champions League night, when one of the great footballers of all time scores a 95th minute winner, and justifies their massive financial outlay on him. You have to be happy. Yeah, 94 minutes and 13 seconds, the goal against Villarreal. It was even later than Solskjaer's 99 Champions League winner against Bayern Munich. Uh, Kev, what have you been watching? It's all about Sheriff for me, because that was just the most remarkable performance. They've won two out of two now in the Champions League. 
nobody expected them to even get to this stage. And you look at the teams they've knocked out in the qualifiers, Red Star Belgrade, Dinamo Zagreb, who knocked out Tottenham in the Europa League last season, although that's becoming less and less of an achievement as time wears on. <laughs> um, and you look at the way that they had a bit of a strut against Real Madrid. And I love the fact that Sebastian Thiel, who got the winner in the 89th minute, Plays for Luxembourg at international level, was playing with Progre Niederkorn not that long ago. And if you'd have said to him, you're going to score a winner at the Bernabeu in a few years' time when he was at Progre Niederkorn, he would have thought you were crazy. So that's what football's all about. Shocks, surprises, wonderful personal stories. It was brilliant. Yeah, um, he, I, I, I've done Luxembourg a couple of times and he and his brother play in midfield, don't they? Is it Vincent Thiel? as well. So I think it's Sebastian and Vincent. They're both playing midfield for Luxembourg. Uh, and now Paul Vincent, I mean, he's got no chance now, has he? No. How's he going to match that? You could never, ever, <laughs> he's never going to be famous in his own family after that. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. We've got a couple of big games uh, to get to. We're going to do Liverpool, Manchester City a little bit later on. That's the big game of the week, but we're going to start with game day. Balls to Lingard, Ronaldo. Oh my God, I cannot believe it had to be that man, Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, we're at the start of the season. We know that it's going to be a long, long journey all season. Champions League, FA Cup, Premier League, we've got loads of games. Bruno Fernandes to salvage a point and he's oh! blazed it high into the Stratford end. A moment of realisation for Manchester United. The last eight games now that they've lost have all came at Old Trafford. So they have to sort that out if they want to keep challenging at the top of the table in the Premier League. Grace slips into Decore. Decore in the area. 2-0. That's it! Points are safe for Everton! We are creating a good team spirit and hopefully with the players coming back, uh, the big names that they were scoring goals, uh, the team will be stronger. Well, Manchester United lost three times in 11 days before the midweek game with Villarreal and for a lot of it, it seemed that it would be a yet another defeat because Villarreal had several chances in that first half and United relied on a wonder goal and a bit of... Ronaldo magic. I mean, what what's the problem here, Darren? Uh, the problem is uh, that everywhere else, everyone's hiding behind Ronaldo. I want to be a bit more scientific, but I don't think you can be more scientific than that. They've conceded five goals from their six Premier League games so far. They've kept one clean sheet in their nine games in all competitions this season. That either tells you that they're disorganised, ill-disciplined, or they're not working hard enough. But either way... They are relying on Ronaldo to dig them out of too many holes. Um, Kevin, I don't know if the defence is, is is the real problem, the underlying problem, or it's the, the screen in front of them, but they look a bit ragged in that game on Wednesday night, but it's not the only game in which the defence has been called into question. Without Shaw, without Maguire, I mean, I think Shaw is heading back for the weekend, but Maguire's got a calf injury. He's not going to be available this weekend. Um, and how much of an issue is that going to be against Everton? I think it really could be. And I think it's about defending as a team. And to me, it's not a team with adequate structure. You look at all of the quality players they have. You're trying to fit Pogba, Fernandez, Ronaldo, Jaden Sancho, all of these guys in. But you have to have the right balance between attack and defence. And it comes back to this idea that they didn't upgrade that central midfield position. And I know that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer regularly speaks up in defence of Scott McTominay and Fred. And look, they're perfectly good squad players. And to be fair to McTominay, I think he's had some great games in the Champions League and in big Premier League games. So you could never look at those guys and say they're not good enough to be in that squad. 
are they part of a title winning team? No, I don't think they are. And I just think this is part of this overarching narrative that the Solskjaer loyalists will always tell you, we're nearly there. We're building. We're rebuilding. We just need a few more transfer windows. How much time do you want? How much money do you want to spend on the football club? Because at the moment, the pace of change is glacial. And so things need to change a lot more quickly for me. You only need to look at uh, the way that PSG operated on Tuesday night, where you've got players like Neymar and Mbappe scuttling back into position to ensure that Manchester City can't open up their back line. You only have to look at Bayern Munich to see all the pieces of that particular machine working in tandem so eloquently and so fluidly. They look so disconnected in comparison, Manchester United. You, you, you need to make sure that if you are going to get all of these really talented players into a team, everybody's still got to do their duty. It isn't enough just to say, hey, here's some great players. Off you go, lads. Go and play. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think if you look at the recent sequence and you see how much the the their form flatters them because... They'd won three. They've lost three out of four yeah. before this game. Had Mark Noble scored his penalty, it, they'd have been winless in four. And I, I think if you look at, we're talking about great players in these teams: Bayern, PSG. But if you look at Villarreal, they won the Europa League last season. They've got players that other clubs didn't want. You know, Juan Foyth, Spurs didn't want him. Capu, Spurs didn't want him. Moreno, Spurs didn't, uh, Liverpool didn't want him. But they have a system and a plan, don't they? And that's what that, that what sets, sets them apart. Well, this is it. They, they have a system, they have a plan, but m- even more than that, they have discipline. And all too often when I watched um, Ronaldo's first game with a mate of mine, and I was really excited about him. And my mate was very, it was quite, Grumpy, actually, and I said, "Why are you? What was the problem?" And he said, "Why were you watching him with Alex it? Crook?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, to be fair, that would sum him up quite well. But it wasn't him. But 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 my mate said to me, "It's our midfield. It's terrible." And I said, "What do you mean?" And what you're saying is, Matic tries too much to be a footballer instead of having the discipline to win it and give it, you know, and just to protect that back four. And you know, you talk about PSG and Pochettino. I remember when I covered his Southampton and Spurs teams and he had at Southampton Schneiderlin and Wanyama in front of the back four and they were a fantastic protective shield for the defence. I mean, they managed to get, um, who was a centre-half who got the uh, Dejan Lovren? They got him a £20 million move to Liverpool because they were so good and they possibly made him look better than he was. And again, at Spurs, Wanyama was in there as well and there were any number of uh, partners for him in that central midfield position, but they protected that back four. They won it, they gave it, they worked hard, they were disciplined. I don't see that discipline in the Manchester United team. And I think that's a big part of why they're struggling. Diane Lovren, who famously could never play more than five games in a row for Liverpool without getting injured, currently uh, injured for Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, Everton haven't won a league match at Old Trafford since December 2013, and they will have further difficulties, Kevin, when you bear in mind that there's no Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Andre Gomez, Seamus Coleman, all questionable for the game. Yeah, that is an issue, but they have a proper coach who's done an excellent job since he's arrived. Uh, I think he identified what they needed before getting there, uh, and he added Andros Townsend and Damari Gray, They've done a fantastic job. Everton have structure. 
And they do look a real threat going forwards. And I think even he's been surprised, Rafa Benitez, by the progress they've made in quite a short space of time. And you can see a direction of travel. And it'll be interesting to see how far they can go. Because if the season's going well, you can guarantee Rafa will be, you know, knocking on the board's door, knocking on Marcel Brand's door and saying, look, I want more players. I think we can make a push here. So I'll be interested to see how they go. But for this game... I think we, even with all those players out, I still think they're a threat. Yeah, I think there will be a threat. I was uh, with them at Aston Villa when they were in the game, but didn't really carry as much of a threat until um, the sort of second half. And then just as they started to to push that Villa defence, Villa scored on the counter and then that was it then. Villa just took control of the game and then they, they sort of went to pieces a little bit. But that was a match in which they didn't have Pickford, Calvert-Lewin, uh, Richarlison or Coleman. They may get one or two of those back this weekend. They weren't ultra convincing, I don't think, against Norwich last week. And Ben Godfrey at right back, he's a brilliant defender. I really like him. And I like him as a right centre-half or as a centre-half. But at right back, sometimes he is that is an area in which you can target. Um, but Aston Villa, West Ham, Villarreal have all showed that Manchester United could be taken apart as well. be interesting to see what the atmosphere is like at the game because there was very much a party atmosphere after the game on Wednesday night, almost a sort of feel-good factor. And I've been at Old Trafford a couple of times this season, and there really is sort of like a unity amongst the crowd and a connection with the players. And the Ronaldo factor has sort of done that, but it actually happened before that because I was there for the Leeds game and Varane was announced to the crowd and everybody was up on, on their feet and really taking it all in. And it was like a, I don't know, it was almost like a special treat to be back at Old Trafford. So, I just think there is a little bit sort of behind the scenes there where I understand that the the atmosphere in training, the, the levels in training are very good at Manchester United and there is a bit of a connection between the group and they feel like something is coming. And I think that connection with the supporters as well is there and the knowledge of supporters that there are in, in, in Manchester United's ranks sort of feel that too. But it'll be interesting to see how they get on this weekend against Everton. We certainly haven't seen it on the pitch for the last couple of matches. At 5.30, it's Brighton against Arsenal. And Brighton needed a late goal on the Monday night game, didn't they, to rescue a point against Palace. They need to cut through, Darren, an Arsenal defence that have only let in one goal in their last four games. Yeah, but I think those four games flatter them. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. Why can't you just be nice? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to try and be nice because I think um, Arteta has been working incredibly hard. Uh, I think he's a fantastic communicator. And I think that's been a big part of why they've stuck by him because he has a very clear vision of what he wants to achieve at the club, even though sometimes we can't see it. And he's managed to get, he, he almost should be a politician because trust the process has become a mentra. You know I mean? I, I think. Started uh, by Meza Herzl. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, it's just been fantastic in the way that he's, whether you agree with the message or not, it's been fantastic in the way that everyone now is aware of it. But <clears throat> you, you talk about those uh, Five wins from six, it is. And you look at the teams that they've beaten. West Brom in the League Cup, 6-0. Norwich, 1-0 in the Premier League. Burnley, 1-0 in the Premier League. AFC Wimbledon, 3-0 in the League Cup. And then probably a Spurs side with the worst performance. I mean, that was a sackable performance last weekend because it was just so disorganised. And to a certain extent, I think those results flatter Arsenal. Because sandwiched in those results is a 5-0 demolition at the hands of Manchester City that showed that when they step up a level, they get taken apart against a team that knows what they're doing. 
So I, I don't quite know how to read this one. The other thing I would say is they're up against a Brighton side that in PR terms, if they were to lose to them, it wouldn't be a good look given that Brighton sold their £50 million defender, who some people say isn't even their best defender. But, you know, they've sold them their defender and then basically go on to beat them. That's not a great look. So I look, I think Brighton could get something out of this. The manner of that draw in midweek shows there's a real desire and hunger about them. And I think this is going to be a tough game for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a great look for Arsenal, but it'd be a cracking look for Tony Bloom. He'd be absolutely delighted with that if it went that way, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, I suppose that I, I quite like the back four now in terms of that it is the same back four week in, week out with Arsenal. Tierney at left back, Tommy Yasu at right back, who's solid. Um, White and Gabriel in, in the centre of, of the defence and Ramsdale's the goalkeeper. They've just they've stuck with it, which is good because at the beginning of the season, I mean, they, they couldn't stop rotating the personnel and you, you're never going to get an organised back line. You're never going to get any sense of stability if you keep chopping and changing every, every five minutes, Kevin. Yeah, there has to be a core. I think you look at all the successful teams, there's generally a partnership at the heart of that defence. Um, I think if you look at obviously Manchester City's success last season, Ruben Diaz and John Stones were a fantastic pairing. Obviously Stones has been out uh, this season, but Imeric Laporte stepped in and done a really good job and you need that consistency. I have to say Ramsdale, even though I thought it was a very odd signing at the time and only time will tell if it really was for that kind of money, but I've been quite impressed with the personality and that's what Arsenal have lacked. They have lacked leaders. They have lacked personality. I know it's cliche, but it's because it's true. You know, they, they have folded in games time and time again. And so you need somebody who's got a bit of oomph about them. He's made some great saves. I thought he made a terrific save against Spurs uh, at the weekend at 3-1 that prevented it from being 3-2. And so it's baby steps. But again, I talked about glacial pace of change with Manchester United, and I kind of apply that to Arsenal to some extent. So They've been in transition since 2007, Kevin. Well, this That's is not it. glacial. And, That's planetary. Yeah. And I just think <laughs> now it's about results. Now it's about he, he's, he's bedded in this way of playing, you know, building from the back, even though it looks crazy at times. And I'm all for that. And Graham Potter is a great example of when you do trust the process in inverted commas, it can have massive beneficial effects. But now Arsenal need to prove that they can be consistent and that they can do it without Xhaka as well. Because as much as I slate Xhaka sometimes for the crazy stuff he does, he does do a very important job in that midfield as well in plenty of games. Thomas Partey coming back is, is massive for them. He is a top player. He looks fit, which he hasn't done for a lot of his time at Arsenal. So they are moving in the right direction. But how quickly is the question? Southampton nil, Wolves won, and Raul Jimenez's long, long wait for a goal is finally over. We know uh, that we can do it better, but I think we did a really good job and we deserve what we have now. And Traore has lashed it in, that is a simply sensational equaliser. They believe in our work and this is the way, this is the way. They need to believe in our work and the result will come. Watford won, Newcastle won, Newcastle remain without a win. Well that's the frustration for me, of course. You can't dominate and have the opportunities we have and only be 1-0 up. What a wonderful goal from Alan Sabachiman! Newcastle spent less than Brighton, Norwich, mm -hmm. Brentford, Crystal Palace. That tells you yep. the size of the task that Steve Bruce has. 
Uh, Wolves against Newcastle. Talksport 2 at 3 o'clock. Wolves have won two on the road this season, but haven't won at home since May. And they haven't won two games on the bounce since April. But that may change this weekend, Darren, if Raul Jimenez has found his shooting boots. I mean, what a terrific goal he scored against Southampton. Yeah, terrific goal against Southampton. And the reception for the goal was probably everything for me. Uh, Probably more than the goal itself, because it showed just how well regarded he is at the club. It shows... It must have been a massive catharsis for him because I would imagine there would have been a lot of people who would have wondered, could he, would he be the same player? Everyone would have been willing him to be, but could he be? Uh, you know, could he find the net again? Was there, would there be a psychological barrier for him, particularly um, going into tough situations? Um, and, and he answered that question. Um, we know he had a good goal record beforehand. And he, he's starting to prove that he does, he does still have that quality. So it was fantastic for him. Now the next step for him and his team is to put together a run of wins. Uh, that was a good victory for them at Southampton, who previously held Manchester City. But can they now do it when they're expected to do it at home, where they haven't won uh, so far this season? And that for me, as a team thing rather than an individual thing. Yeah, um, but I think they will test that Newcastle back line. I mean, I was looking at the, the personnel in the Newcastle back line. Richie, I mean, he's not really a left fullback, is he? Let's be completely honest about it. Clark, Fernandez, Manquillo. I mean, if I was Raul Jimenez, I'd be looking at that back line this weekend thinking, I'll have some of that, thank you very much. <laughs> and Wolves have played some really nice attacking football this season. Um, you know, Trincao's caught the eye in some matches. Uh, Adama Traore's had some great spells in games. It just They just haven't been able to click. They haven't been mm. able to put the ball in the net. But I think Bruno Lage the final is four, trying to bed in this this style. And this is what he did at Benfica when he won the league. Obviously, it then went horribly wrong after that. But let's concentrate on the first bit where it did go well. <laughs> let's stick with and the positives. Absolutely. And, and look, his style is, is a front foot style. He wants to be aggressive. He wants to create lots of chances. And obviously, that's a bit of a gear change compared to what Nuno did at Wolves. And what Nuno did at Wolves is very effective uh, for much of it. But it is a bit of a change and it probably is a bit of a breath of fresh air. And what it should do is it should get Raul Jimenez plenty of chances. I was really pleased for him as well. You know, he's talked about having that courage to come back and he's actually relished having the contact, I think. And, And it would have been very easy for him to not trust his body and to shy away. But I actually think he's done the opposite and really thrown himself into it. Uh, Callum Wilson has had a bit of a problem trusting his body, hasn't he? Because another injury, thigh injury, is causing him and Newcastle a lot of grief, isn't he? He's not, he's not going to be back until the middle of October, apparently. No, uh, but, you know, again, I, I think with Newcastle, it's not really about individuals. It's about the team. It's about the politics. It's about the confidence. It's about the fans. There, There, there is no one individual that their fortunes hinge on. Um, it's certainly not within the team. Uh, as far as Steve Bruce is concerned, yeah, uh, I think there is a lot of spotlight, a lot of pressure. I've said before here on the podcast, I just don't know why he puts himself through it. No win in any competition so far uh, this season from open play. And fans aren't having him. The, the owner backs him. It seems as though he can do no wrong. But in terms of where the team are and in terms of the febrile atmosphere, 
it's just horrendous. And, you know, Newcastle have played well in patches this season. I did. I thought they did particularly well in, in that game against Manchester United. Another result that kind of flattered United because Newcastle had their opportunities before United uh, took control of that game. And Ronaldo had us all basically plastering him across the back pages. Um I still think they have a chance. I still think that they could maybe pull off a surprise because they've got the forward line to do it. But you can never say never. Sorry, you can never say with Newcastle just because there is so much politics around what is a tinderbox of a club. Okay, let's talk about the politics then because the Premier League, according to a tribunal yesterday, was improperly influenced to block the £300 million takeover uh, of the club by a Saudi Arabian Public uh, Institute of Finance or Public Investment Fund. Is it just a, a bit of a smokescreen? Is it a bit of PR going on here? Because the Premier League says that the tribunal, that, that apparently all of these bits of evidence have been heard by, has no jurisdiction. Is it going to go through? Is there even a takeover on the table now? I don't. I, I'm From what I understand, there isn't really, is there? Successful takeovers, takeovers that mean business where there aren't humps in the road, normally go ahead. In fact, you generally hear about them when they're completed. Manchester City, Chelsea, Burnley, you know, you generally hear about them once they're done. This Newcastle thing, it's been running longer than Coronation Street. It is just, it's, it's honestly. There's one for the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't think of what I was hey, going to say, Jordan Shaw. Do a no, Mavis impression now. Do a Mavis impression. If you do a Mavis impression, we'll just leave it there. No, because if I do a Ooh, Mavis impression. Oh, we don't really know. <laughs> Weren't expecting that, were you? Actually, that could have been the answer where I said, will the takeover go through? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I don't think, I'm starting to think it will never happen. Um, there are all sorts of uh, what people would describe. I don't necessarily have a view either way, but I've heard it mentioned that there are conflicts of interest, that there are um, things that the Premier League don't find to be satisfactory. Whatever the truth of all of that is, the fact is that takeovers that mean business you normally hear about them once they're done mm. and it's the case with Newcastle that it's been one thing it's been another it's been played out in the media and I think Newcastle fans are fed up of it and unfortunately Steve Bruce is getting the brunt of it yep and uh, more optimism uh, to come across the rest of the weekend uh, over Newcastle I'm sure um, each of the last uh, five meetings between these two have finished 1-1 Okay, let's get to Super Sunday because there's an absolutely massive game. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. At 4.30 on Sunday, it's Liverpool against Manchester City, and City have been prevented from scoring by Southampton, by Tottenham, and by PSG already this season. Will Liverpool be able to keep them out? In the big game of the weekend, Kevin Hatchard is an out Liverpool fan. Darren Lewis is an out yeah. Liverpool fan. So this is a slightly biased podcast. Uh, I will try to keep it sort of sensible by putting the Manchester City point of view, because I know you two can get very one-eyed and carried away. Um, <laughs> what, what do you reckon? I think this is a massive test for Liverpool. Because I think it's a Manchester City team in incredible form. You know, you look at what happens against Paris... Uh, you did that game, Sam, didn't you? And I, I, yeah. I thought actually City play really well. Uh, I thought had they well, taken... okay to a point, okay to a point where they got to the penalty area, and then yeah. it all sort of fell down a little bit. Yeah, but in terms of the pattern of play, in terms of yeah. minimizing what Neymar was doing, minimizing largely what Messi was doing. Look, Messi can always open you up with a moment of magic, and he did. But if you look at Paris in general and the way they approach that game, there were gaps there and, and City were winning battles all over the field. So having played brilliantly against Chelsea, I mean, what a performance that was. That was a, that was a sensational performance. Yeah, and I, I thought there were similarities in some of the stuff they did in Paris, as you quite rightly say. You know, if Bernardo Silva scores oh. <laughs> from right in front of the goal with nobody in front of him, then it might be a totally different game. But I think they've really hit another level in the last couple of games. But Liverpool have played very well. I, I think Jurgen Klopp was a little discomforted by how they defended against Brentford. Um, you know, he talked a lot about the aerial challenges, but I just thought in general, there were lots of sloppy moments at the back for Liverpool. Uh, you know, you think of the Ethan Pinnock goal, Fabinho's not really switched on. That's not like him. Just lots of little kind of errors, although they were very good against Porto. So you've got two outstanding teams, two outstanding coaches, one difference from recent games, of course, we've got the Anfield factor back. And we've seen in the Champions League, in the Premier League, that can really energise Liverpool and make a big difference. And Darren, obviously, I know you're very excited about this game. Liverpool scoring goals for fun. Six games in a row where they have scored at least three goals. I mean, that is pretty sensational. Uh, Firmino, Jota, Salah and Mane all on the score sheet with regularity. Can City contain them? I don't think they'll score three goals against City. I think I can say that with some certainty. It will pretty, really will be sensational if they're able to do that. And the other thing, of course, is that there was a similar build-up going into the Chelsea City game last weekend. No striker for City. Lukaku scoring goals for fun. Um, and would City be able to contain Chelsea? And Chelsea ended up, as we all know, ironically, no shot on target at all 
And if there's one thing that City know how to do, it's defend, best defence in the Premier League last season. If you park the PSG game, and, and obviously Messi played like he came from a galaxy far, far away. Um, sorry about that. Um, I, I think in this case... <laughs> I'm never going to not like a Star Wars reference. You carry on, Darren. Don't worry about that. (laughs) But, of course, then they lose to PSG and suddenly people are saying the same things again. And he recognises that in games when they have chances and they miss them, people will say, you should have brought a striker. And in games when he wins without a striker, people say, you're a genius. Well, that's it. I think that's I think that's him and people buying into a very simplistic analysis of football. I don't think that the media in this country are that simplistic. I think we know that he understands and we understand they tried to get a striker. They couldn't get the one that they wanted. So they have to find a way of 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 operating without one. He said that it's not about having a striker or not having a striker. I think it's more deciding that you're not going to play with one, which is fair enough. And maximizing your opportunity that when you do create a lot of chances you've got someone to finish them and the way you do that is by playing a false nine every week and it being the same personnel rather than starting the first four games or three games of the season with Ferran Torres then changing it to Raheem Sterling then changing it to uh, Phil Foden then changing it back to Sterling and expecting a different outcome yeah, well, I mean, your secondary point I agree with but the primary point is I look back at the game against Southampton and it was the, the analysis of that game was dominated by a widespread opinion that it was wrong to buy a striker. And with Harry Kane kicking his heels at Spurs and Spurs floundering uh, and City not able to find their way past a, a, a team, everyone put their mortgage on them to beat, everyone was losing out. And even the build-up to the Chelsea game was dominated by the lack of a tr- striker for City. So in that regard, I th- yes, it is a simplistic point of view, but it is a point of view that exists. And he's also pers- valid as well, let's be honest. You yes, know, if they did absolutely. have a striker, they would score more goals. Absolutely. And they would, and that striker would certainly take a, a advantage of the chances that Bernardo Silva missed, for example, Kevin. Because if you don't have a striker, that, that person doesn't make the run, doesn't hold the ball up, doesn't bring others into play, doesn't finish the chances, which is the key thing. But ultimately, you look you look at Mbappe. He set up the goal for um, uh, Messi the other night just by ensuring that he was occupying a defender, dropped off, yeah. just touched it back. He only made one tiny little touch, but that touch was enough to completely change the angle for Messi to shoot it into the top corner. But there is another issue here because I accept the I accept the premise that if you have a dedicated centre forward, you are likely to score more goals, of course, because you have a better finisher and you're, you're going to convert those chances they make. However, you've got to bear in mind that they have to also adopt the behaviour of the rest of the team. The reason they played so well against Chelsea is because every member of that team understands how to press, understands how to behave without the ball. Now, if you brought in a central striker who will score you some goals, but won't press to save their lives, then it doesn't work. So what Pep Guardiola Guardiola wants is a very specific skill set. If you can't get that, then there's no point bringing anybody in. I totally, totally agree. You can only perform against Chelsea in the way that you they did if everybody's on the same page. But that doesn't negate the argument that if you are going to have a system where you're not going to play with a striker, which is fine, then the person that you put in that position needs to have more than one game at a time to get used to playing in that position 
in yeah. order to get the best out of them. If you keep well, chopping you, and changing it, then you're not going. But, but, you're not going to develop partnerships. The problem is, Sam, and, and Kevin knows this as well. We all know this. Pep likes to try to be sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a little bit too clever for his own good. So no defensive midfielder, for example, in the Champions League final, as we all know. Yeah, you know sometimes crazy. he likes to try to, yeah. Uh, sometimes he just likes to maybe drop in something from left field to outmaneuver his opponent. And somebody with who knows Iranians, like a Tuchel or a Klopp, they'll be ready for that kind of thing. They'll be able to take advantage of that kind of thing against maybe lesser teams, it could work. And I, I think in this game, Klopp will be ready for the false nine, whatever Guardiola might try to, to do, because it's too much like common sense to, to field Torres in that centre-forward position and give him a run of games and get him among the goals. And one last thing, I mean, Gabriel Jesus, 52 Premier League goals for him and he clearly does well down the right-hand side, demolished Arsenal, as we know. And, you know, he's put in some really good performances, scored the winning goal last weekend as well. But where does he play? You couldn't say from one week to the next who the lineup will be and where they'll be deployed. And that's my big concern around City. Okay, my um, prediction is that Jack Grealish will definitely play on the left-hand side. That is my prediction for the for the game on Sunday. I know Trent Alexander-Arnold, we don't think, for the weekend as well for Liverpool. Um, Liverpool have taken 14 points from a possible 18 this season. They can cement their place at the top of the table with a win. The game uh, usually produces a lot of goals. Eight of the last 10 meetings in the Champions League and Premier League have featured three goals or more. Let's enjoy it, folks. But do, do you really think that Thomas Tuchel and Jurgen Klopp know their onions? Do you reckon they can sort of tell the difference between like, you know, like a juicy red one, <laughs> And a, like a stinky white one, just just from looking at them. Do you think they know their onions that well? I don't know. Tuchel would make the defenders hold them in training so they don't pull people's shirts. Right, there you go. Uh, West Ham against uh, Brentford, 2pm on Sunday. West Ham don't keep clean sheets, Darren. <laughs> so uh, how long did that defence hold firm, Darren? How long was it? Uh, 19 minutes. 19 minutes before Rafinha scored. And what was your reaction when you got that little text alert saying that Rafinha had scored? It was a bleep. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long was it before Alex Crook ended up sending you a text message just to remind you that actually West Ham can't keep clean sheets? Uh, 19 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, if you're going to do bold predictions, you're going to get called out. Uh, everyone thinks well, that... They did win. They did win. They did brilliant. win as I predicted. Yeah, but you also predicted that they'd keep a clean sheet. <laughs> Uh, everyone thinks that Brentford's trip to West Ham will yield goal after goal, but I'm not actually so sure. Brentford have actually tightened up from the, uh, the uh, first half of last season, but they did concede quite a lot of goals that were quite open. Um, uh, yeah, they were opened up three times last Saturday against Liverpool, but it's a little bit of a difference between Salah, Jota and Mane and Antonio Bowen and Ben Rama. Um, but I do think it'll be a good game, Kevin. Yeah, I think it'll be a terrific game. I think two teams in great form, two teams with lots of confidence. Uh, I've been really impressed with the way that West Ham have carried on from last season. It would have been very easy to drop a level. Of course, they're involved in European action now, so that puts its own strain on the squad. Mikel Antonio has been great, but they have lots of players in form. I think Pablo Fornals is, is finally showing what he's capable of on a consistent basis. Ben Rama, we know, is a quality player, and they've got a really solid base as well. I think... Uh, all the way through, 
it, it has a very solid spine, that team. So I've been very impressed with them. And if you look at Brentford, I got them wrong at the start of the season. I thought they'd struggle a lot more than this. They have played with personality, with confidence, with total belief. You look at the game against Liverpool, not once did the heads drop. Not once did they not believe they could get back in the game. Uh, David Rye with that unbelievable save. He's been sensational. The, the save that he made against Liverpool from Shotter, I think it was, was absolutely world-class. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a great game between two teams who are absolutely buzzing at the moment. Indeed, they are. Uh, Brentford should be on a high, and I think their fans are certainly enjoying themselves. It's worth remembering, though, that West Ham needed a late, late winner against Leeds United. And uh, speaking to some of the West Ham United coaching staff, you know, it, it, it wasn't an easy game up at Leeds, and they haven't they haven't played badly over the course of the last few weeks. But you can just get the sense that actually one or two matches now. You go back to that Southampton one. Obviously, the Manchester United one took a lot out of them. They're playing on Thursday nights as well. I just wonder whether or not maybe they might be in for a bit of a sticky patch come the winter. I think a lot of people will be underestimating Brentford this season. It's the reason why they've got six points now uh, from their six games so far in the Premier League because we we do it time and time again. We did it with Sheffield United during that wonderful first season in the Premier League uh, and we'll continue to do it uh, when teams come up from the Championship. They finished third last year in the second tier and lots of people expected them to be whipping boys but they've got a real organisation about them. Tony Mbuemo being terrific up front. Frank the Tank in midfield. Uh, Frank Onyeku, Onyekuru. I hope I've said that correctly. Well, you haven't, um, but don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> um, Norgard you know, in the centre, I think, is really important for them as well. Norgard, Christopher A has been a terrific signing at centre-half as well. They've got a real core of outstanding talent at the club. And I, listen, I do still think West Ham will win. I think their performance away to Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League was one of the performances of that first round of matches outstanding against a team top of the league in Croatia. And I think they want to have a go in the Europa League. So, But I think they've got the squad to do it because that win at Leeds, last Scarf's win, came a few days after they'd gone to Manchester United and won in the League Cup. So I think they've got the squad to do it and I think they'll win on Sunday. Um, Brentford haven't scored against West Ham since 1954. Do you remember that goal, Darren? What was it like? <laughs> playing that long. <laughs> um, granted, they've he only played... He's a teenager. He's never going to remember it. Kevin, he does that. <laughs> you, etu, Kevin. Etu. <laughs> uh, granted, they've only played them twice uh, since, but this is uh, a very rare East versus very West. Uh, London derby. Right, Tottenham against Aston Villa, two o'clock. Uh, ill feeling in the stands. The Tottenham supporters trust in revolt. Key staff behind the scenes unhappy. And that's before you get to the mess that is the team. Nuno Espirito Santo basically saying, I mean, for a guy whose name is Spirit, saying there isn't any spirit uh, at uh, Tottenham at the moment. How does he stem the flow of poor results against a Villa side who have been very good, Kevin? It's a really tough one, Sam, because he, he has to go back to the kind of personality they showed against Manchester City. And I know that people say, well, City had spells where they were dominant and, uh, and you know, maybe City should have won the game. But actually, I thought they dug in brilliantly and I thought they got the balance right that day between attack and defence. And you thought, OK, if he's managed to get that shape already, 
maybe there's something to build on and they won the next couple of games not particularly impressively as we know but if you put that performance against Manchester City up against that total cataclysmic shambles against Arsenal and you wonder what on earth has happened you look at the situation with Harry Kane, it's far too easy to say, oh, Kane didn't get the move that he wanted. He's down tools. He's not interested. I don't think it's about that. I, I think it's about getting him into areas where he can do damage. If you look at like heat maps and things like that and where his touches are, he's nowhere near the goal. He's just not in the box enough. And I know he can drop to good effect. And we saw that last season. But if he's stuck out on the left or in the inside left channel, not really affecting the game, that's probably the biggest issue that Nuno has to address. So it's about restoring that belief and that will only come with results. Okay. Um, I saw a few pictures of Kane actually at the Bond premiere. I don't know if you saw those. Quite a few actually. It was nice to see him actually having a few shots. Um, uh. <laughs> Deli Ali's mini revival seems to uh, be over again. Subbed at half time last week, Darren. How, how does Nuno get the best out of him? In a way, Nuno's got to get win, win over the squad. Not in a way. He definitely has to win over the squad. He's disillusioned quite a few players. He he seems quite a warm, avuncular man uh, from Does his he? time at Wolves. Where, well, where when you he get was that at impression? Wolves, in a footballing context, yeah, not so much. And that's his big issue. Players haven't warmed to him when he was at when when Pochettino was at Spurs and you know they've been covering Spurs since about since Jack Santini was there in two thousand four five. I, I think if you look at the, the the common thread, all of the managers who are most popular at Spurs had a terrific relationship with the players. Harry Redknapp got them to qualify for the Champions League when in the final few games of the season he called players that hadn't been in the team and got them performing to get them over that line and clinch that fourth place. Pochettino, as we all know, had a magnificent relationship with the players, would often routinely defend Deli Alley when everyone was baying for the boys' blood. And But Nuno, he, he has a detachment from those players. And very, very quickly, I was watching on the touchline at the weekend, Arteta was the picture of dynamism. He was a fireball. He was kicking every ball. He was challenging every decision. Every goal went in. He was clutching both his fists together. He was jumping in the air. And Nuno was just impassive. And I, I think when you're Spurs boss, you have to have a charisma about it. Even in his press conference, he lacks charisma. He lacks personality. And I just don't see anything from Nuno that says to me, he is setting the tone for his players. There's no dynamism about him. There's no dynamism about his players. There's no tactic, cohesion, discipline, organisation, plan, nothing. But he's about trust, isn't he? And he's a slow burner in that regard. I think once you're his guy... You're his guy, full stop. But it takes a while to win his trust. And it's whether he's going to get that time to make those assessments. He hates doing press. He's I really think, suspicious. I, I, think, I think it's the, the other press. way around. I think it's the other way around. I, I don't think that he has got to wait. He's not trying to, they're not trying to earn his trust. It's the other way around. The players are trying to actually start believing in him. They've got to believe in him. And at the moment, I don't think they believe in him. But I think that's how he sees it. I think he sees it as he's seeing who who are the players that he's going to have going forward. But let's not forget, he was on the back foot from the moment he arrived. Yeah. He knew he was, you know, sixth, Tenth seventh, choice. eighth choice. We all knew it. So, again, this comes back to Daniel leaving, And it comes back to 
if you look at his overall time at Spurs, Daniel Levy, you have to say it's been a massive success. That club was not a regular European qualifier. He's overseen the stadium. You know, there are lots of things he's got right. However, that's not in perpetuity. That doesn't mean he can't be castigated for some of the mistakes he's Appointing made. Appointing managers has never been one years. of them. Yes. And the Mourinho debacle, we, we have seen that that didn't work out. That was There was a lot of hubris there, a lot of vanity in that, I think. And the decision to part company with Pochettino was a bad, bad mistake. And there's no getting away from that. That was a key moment in Spurs' recent history. Had he still been there, and obviously there are lots of Tottenham fans that would tell you the performances weren't great, etc., etc. But he had earned the right to rebuild that team. He had earned the right to take it back from that slump and get them back to where they needed to be. And he never got that opportunity. And, and because he didn't give them the opportunity, they've ended up bumming around trying to bring in different types of managers who then want to bring in different types of players. And then as a result of it, you've got a mismatch of a squad which doesn't really fit together. And now they're in a situation where it all still needs rebuilding again. And I, well, we can't go into it now because we haven't got the time. But basically, I think that if he'd just taken the money for Kane. They could have reinvested a bit more in the team and then they could have gone from there. I know Darren disagrees with me completely, uh, but uh, let's move on to Crystal Palace against uh, Leicester because that's also a two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Uh, Crystal Palace went about the business well for most of the game against Brighton before conceding in stoppage time uh, on Monday night, but it's how they react to that sucker punch, Darren, which will dictate if they can get anything from this game. This one's fairly easy, actually, because I'm really optimistic about Crystal Palace under Patrick Vieira. I said right at the start of the season that I was quite fascinated that people had doubts about him, but he had a clear plan. He's been he's sourced good players. Conor Gallagher's going to be a star, whether it's for Palace yeah. or whether it's yeah. for Chelsea's a terrific uh, player. I like Michael Alise, who was among the best young players in the championship last season. I like Mark Guehi, the centre-half they brought in from uh, Chelsea. And... Watson Edward is an outstanding signing, a real bargain. Um, and uh, I think already Palace, yeah, okay, had they won that game, had they held out, they'd be mid-table now. I think they would be as high as ninth, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, what you're seeing from Palace already is a style of play that shows signs of the evolution from the platforms that the Roy Hudson had provided under Patrick Vieira. They're expressing themselves more. It's not as tough a watch as it used to be. I mean, you can watch a whole 90 minutes without falling asleep, can't you now? It's amazing what he's (laughs) done. It's very, very different. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Patrick Vieira most definitely does have the force. Um, Edward had a chance or two against uh, Brighton, but there might be uh, more for him this weekend, um, Kevin, because... He's up against the defence that have kept one clean sheet in six matches this season. Injuries are really hampering uh, Brendan Rodgers' side. And a bit of paperwork. I know that Kalechi Ahianacho couldn't get in uh, to uh, Poland this week because of visa hmm. troubles. Yeah, it's it's a real problem, this defensive issue, because it's not just the injuries. It's the fact that Chalo Soyuncu, uh, I'm a big, big fan of, have been since his time at Freiburg, but he's just 
lost confidence completely. Uh, and I think we've seen that with a few of the lads who were part of that Turkey squad, that there was so much expectation, so much belief that they could do something at the European Championship. And they were so bad, so unrelentingly bad over those three games that I think it's really damaged them. Uh, and I think he does not look the same player at the moment. Obviously, Yannick Vestergaard's gone in there. He is a decent defender, but he's getting to know his new teammates and the, the, the balance just isn't right there at all. So... I think there is an opportunity for Palace, absolutely. I love the signing of Edouard as well. I think what I like about him is it's a great belief there. He's very positive. He'll take shots on early. He'll get into great positions on a regular basis. He makes it tangible. He affects the game. Sometimes you see players and there'll be two, three games and you think, what did he do? You won't get that with him. He's in the game every game. Hi, Lucy. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, you've got um, a, a big game to talk about this week. I have indeed got the old uh, Leeds against Watford this week, oh, Saturday's right. game. Okay. Um, what have you got for us then, Luce? Let's start with Darren. So, Darren, out of these two clubs, which team has the oldest player currently in the squad? Oh, I think I'm going to go with Watford because I'm sure I saw the goalkeeper, the reserve goalkeeper interviewed the other. I'm going to go with Watford. Correct, it is Watford. It's Watford's goalkeeper, Ben Foster, who is the grand old age of 38. Yes, oh. started the other week as well, didn't he? Yeah, wish I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that one. She did ask the oldest person here on the pod, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, do you remember when he was born, Darren? (laughs) That's right. Right, Kev. Commentator Bill Leslie coined which phrase following Troy Deeney's historical playoff semi-final goal in May 2013? Oh, I remember the goal, obviously. They broke up the other end and scored. What did he say? Oh, I've heard it recently. You'd think a commentator would know this, wouldn't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was the most dismissive yeah I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I the crookie's going to hate this. I've had a total blank. I don't know. I'm going to have to pass this on. I think he says something about don't uh, rub your eyes or something. Um, something about seeing is believing or something like that. It's like something to do with that. I can't remember what it, what, I'm gonna what it is. I'm going to need your final answer, Sam. It's something to do with rubbing your eyes, I think. Or something to do with your eyes, yeah. Close but no cigar, Darren. Do not scratch your eyes. Oh, you Googled that. He's Googled that. I knew it was something like that. (laughs) I'm going to give you half a point, Sam, for trying. (laughs) Right, Sam. Yeah. If I wanted to buy a ticket to watch this match on Saturday with a hospitality package in the Leeds Lounge, (laughs) what would it cost me? And I can give you some details if that'll help. Yes, please. So I've got this directly from the Leeds website. So this package includes... A pre-match three-course meal, inclusive Ooh. house drinks package, ah. an appearance and pre-match build-up with Leeds United legends, and executive padded match seats located on the halfway line of the East Stand upper tier. Well, that's quite good, isn't it? Are you now working for them, Lucy? <laughs> that was like a really good yeah. PR pitch. That Next was. week's podcast sponsored by Leeds United. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you? Are you? Is this? Um, is this per person, Lucy? This is per person, yeah. Okay, so three course meal, drinks, 
seat. And you get to meet Leeds United legends. All oh, right, okay, that bumps up the price. Uh, I'm going to go for 199. Incorrect. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get it to the exact ballpark. Well, I go for I'm 50 quid, I get it. I'd go, I'd go for 260. It's not an auction. I'm not going to pay 260, but okay. I'd go for and 260. Darren, what's your guess? And we'll go for the closest. I will go with 300. It's actually Kevin because the price is 240 per person. Marvellous. I know my padded seats. Yeah. <laughs> you prawn sandwich brigade, you. <laughs> Norwich have lost their last 16 Premier League games, but they're taking on a team that haven't won at home since January in Burnley this Saturday at three o'clock. The issue I have with the idea that Norwich thinking this is their big chance is that, let's get real, Darren, when it comes to fighting and scrapping for points, Burnley have got experience and now in abundance and Norwich appear to have very little of that. Yeah, um, it's time for me to dust down my old phrase about circling the drain. If you do it often enough, eventually you're going to go down. But uh, Burnley have bucked that trend in recent years because they do have that know-how. They know how to score goals in difficult situations. Whereas to me, Norwich's confidence looks to have gone. I saw them in the League Cup against Liverpool. Now, you might say, well, they're up against Liverpool, but they were presented with very, very good chances that they simply couldn't take. And when you look at the Norwich squad, they just look like... The the one thing that players who come up to the Premier League tell you, who have played in the Premier League, say that, you don't get that much time when you make that step up, whereas at championship level, you get a little bit extra time on the ball. Norwich have been here a couple of times now and they still don't seem to have grasped that. They still do want that extra touch, that extra yard, and they don't get it. And teams have taken advantage of them to such an extent that their spirit looks to have gone already. I hope it's not the case and that they can give a good account of themselves against Burnley, but I can't see it. Burnley to win. Um, Kevin, Burnley have circled the drain for a little while, but have managed to keep out the plug hole, whereas Norwich appear to have just dived straight down the drain. Yeah, if you look at the players Norwich have signed, especially in attacking areas, I just wonder if they're good enough. I mean, I, I covered Milot Rashica a lot at Werder Bremen, covered Josh Sargent a lot at Werder Bremen. My issue with Sargent has always been, yes, he works hard. Yes, he seems like a nice, nice lad. He's not going to score any goals. He didn't score any goals in the Bundesliga. He didn't really show up for a team that was spiralling towards relegation in Germany. I don't know why he's going to show up for a team that's spiralling towards relegation in England. And it's the same with Rashica. A couple of seasons ago, I was a big fan. You know, he scored brilliant free kicks. He, he was dynamic. He would take on defenders. I haven't seen that player for over a year. So there's two signings that I have serious, serious worries about. Billy Gilmore, I think we can all accept, is a, is a really interesting player. He's a good player, but he didn't play against Everton. I think defensively, they haven't learned anything. Defensively, I find them really strange because I actually think individually, they're okay. You, you know, Grant Hanley, I like as an individual defender. Ozan Kabak, I think, has talent. But as a unit, they're all over the place. And what I, what I thought was interesting about the Everton game, Daniel Farker came out afterwards and said, uh, well, I think there were four key points where we lost this game. Well, that's a bit of a concern if there are four key areas where you've lost the game. <laughs> what, so, goalkeeper, defence, midfield and attack? It was pretty much that. So... I like Farker. I really do. Um, I could listen to that voice all day. That voice coming out of that man, I will never be able to compute. So strange, in, isn't it? In, in, 
the most softly spoken guy and you just don't expect that it's to come all, out of that It's man. almost like one of those sort of like pantomime things where he's been given somebody else's voice by sort of like mistake or something. Yeah, it is extraordinary. But I look, he's... I like the football he tries to play. Clearly, it works in the championship. Yeah, but Kevin, he's lost seventy-five percent of all Premier League games he's taken charge of. Yeah, he doesn't have the squad. That squad is not good enough to stay in that league. And you know, in the end, and Crookie, I think was a bit. I could see the point. I think it was a bit too harsh. I think the, the problem the that Crookie, Crookie made was that. he said sporting integrity, the cheating, the integrity of the league. Or the cheating yeah, the and, I don't think and, I, and I don't think that's the case. But I do think no. that they have got a lack of ambition and as a result are going to end up being relegated again. Uh, Chelsea Southampton is another three o'clock kickoff. Chelsea uh, couldn't conjure a shot on target against Manchester City. They had one shot on target in the game against Juventus after 18 attempts on goal. But they will get more opportunities. Or will they? against the Southampton side, who have also kept it tight. They've only let in four goals in their opening six games, Darren. Yeah, and I think they've drawn five of their last seven, if I'm not mistaken. They they, yeah. they know how to frustrate. It's, it, football really does make fools of us all, doesn't it? Because last week we were, sorry, two weeks ago, we were gushing about Chelsea and well, Thomas Tuchel was the guy who could turn... I did say you to know, you that I thought that results were better than performances. Yeah, but at the time, uh, Tuchel actually acknowledged that and we were explained, I was explaining to you last week that actually if you saw the glasses half full, Tuchel was saying the best is yet to come because mm. even though we've been on this wonderful run, we haven't actually played that well. But when you look at the firepower that they have at their disposal and you see how few goals they've managed in the last two games, it is a concern. I think the other thing, though, is that even though they aren't scoring goals, they've normally been very good defensively. They'd only conceded one goal in five Premier League matches uh, up until last weekend. And suddenly they've conceded two goals in as many games. So that too is a concern. And also what's been quite interesting is Antonio Conte in the Italian media, Sky Italia, saying Chelsea aren't, aren't utilising Lukaku properly, which seems to be a bit strange because uh, they seem to be playing him in the same way that he played Lukaku at Inter Milan. Uh, having said that, Mason Mount's not been available for the last two games. And I think the people who might underestimate his contribution might now be appreciating it. I think as well, if you look at Lukaku's performances for Inter, a lot of them were alongside Lautaro Martinez mm. and they had a fantastic pairing and he hasn't got that click with anybody yet. And they do play in a, in a different way. They obviously, you know, play the three a lot of the time. Uh, and so that that is a bit of a difference. So I can understand what Conte is saying in that regard. But it's about control, isn't it? It's about Chelsea wanting to control matches, wanting to control the tempo. Tuchel's all about positional play in the sense that the man on the ball has lots of different options. If you don't have that, if you take that away, which is what Manchester City did so brilliantly at Stamford Bridge, then you negate pretty much everything. So they showed the template in a way, but there aren't many teams that can press like Manchester City. However, the interesting thing I think about Southampton is that Ralph Hasenhüttl we knew from Leipzig in the sense that he played lots of really fast-paced attacking football. But actually, if you go back earlier in his career, when he was at a club called Ingolstadt, who have, have disappeared from the Bundesliga scene since, but that Al Pacino 
um, speech in any given Sunday where he talks about biting and clawing and scrapping for every inch. That was Ingolstadt for that whole season. And he kept them up in their first season in the Bundesliga, playing the most horrendous football at times because he didn't have the quality to compete at that level. And so he found a way of discomforting opposition teams and defending for their lives and getting absolutely everything out of that team. If you look at that Southampton squad, that's what he's having to do now. And he's managed to keep them up so far. And I think if he keeps them up again, I think that has to be a big tick against his name. So be interested to see how they approach this against Chelsea because that Southampton squad is not a huge amount better than some of the teams that are really in trouble at boss. Right. Okay. Um, thanks for downloading the Game Day podcast and Talk Sport. Remember, the post match pod will be out as soon as you wake up on Monday morning with a review of all the action. Darren, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, Kevin, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Uh, cheers, guys. Thank you very much. We'll be back on Monday morning. We'll see you then. And remember that Game Day is your place for all the live commentaries this Saturday. Listen on our app. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.